This is Thomas DePolo. This is Max. This is Kevin Ham. Hey, this is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box. Today we are going to talk about the latest contest that the community participated in. It was the 20 fiction, uh, 20 fiction, 2020 microfiction contest. No, it was the 20 fiction contest and we fucked it up because we wrote 50. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we had 50 entries in the microfiction contest from, what, 14 submitters? Um, and there was a lot of uh, content that came in from outside of the uh, Night at the Opera community. So that was really refreshing. Um, just a summary of the contest, it was like Micromedia that I ran last year, except microfiction only. And the general rule of thumb so was, like you know, words only. Yeah, like write, uh, write a short story that takes 10 minutes or less to read. And I feel like I, some of these took longer than 10 minutes, but, you know, it's, it's fair. They they have like a website you can put your uh, text into and see how long it takes to read. Uh, but anyways, um, I thought it was pretty good. Um, uh, when the entry started to like, you know, it, it came from a trickle to like a stream when, you know, they were all rushing in all at the same time. I was a little bit worried about the voting method. Uh, but now that everyone is writing reviews, I think that we're better off for it. Uh, what do you guys think about the contest structure overall? So we got... 50 responses and the rules were that you need to vote for your favorite three after reading all 50 and i think having 50 entries dramatically reduced voter turnout as a result how many votes did we get uh only 18 people voted so not everyone that submitted even voted that uh that's something i i run into with administering a lot of the other contests is it I feel like I feel like the voting quality is better when you basically force submitters to vote and only they can vote because then then they kind of enter into a contract when they send you a submission that they know they're going to be you know on the hook for voting for in some manner and that seemed usually works better. I disagree. I don't think that it's that it's um, forcing the submitters to vote specifically. I think it's forcing the submitters to offer feedback on other people's material. Because that is most of the time in a, in a contest with 50 people, you're not going to see the numeric vote count that you got. And my guess is that there's, if there's 50 things, only f- like 15 voters, then most submissions are going to get like one or two votes. And the winner will be have like three or four, just like it used to be with the shotgun contest. Yeah, I mean, I think my, my ideal voting block for a future contest looks like submitters, ha- submitters have to review a small random sample of things and give like critique on it and then vote on those. So you have like a, a, a winner by the s- members of the contest. And then you have an, an open vote. That's just, you know, first past the post, top of the post, whatever um, audience favorite. And you basically have two winners. You have, you know, here's the winners from the, you know, from the people who were involved and here's the winners from the public. You know, I feel like that might encapsulate all of the goodness of each type of voting thing. And I may try that in the future. And it also I means have, you get critique, which is huge. I agree. It's a huge feedback. Or feedback is huge. I agree. Thanks. So we had also a lot of people submit who were not regular members of the Night at the Opera community. And I think you posted uh, calls for submissions to some of the Facebook groups for Delta Green, for instance. Did you yeah. also post links to the voting forum when it was time to start voting? You know what? I did not so um, that might have also skewed it i think if there are people yeah, who are regular discord been. members but you recall I, I deleted my facebook so that probably is a that's true. Direct, direct correlation we probably, between yep. we probably could have helped you out with that one but i'm just thinking like there's probably a correlation there of people if their pr- primary point of contact with the contest was through facebook or other platforms and then the voting form never hit those platforms that might have affected it as well. No, I'm sure Jake feels really bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just saying lessons for next time, maybe. If you're gonna, yeah, no, we're going to start really on one platform. We could also a winner, also but... have done it uh, differently. Uh, I think Max had the suggestion of um, doing it like how we did, I think it was Will's contest, where people only had to rate and review a, a couple of entries instead of all of them. Well, Will's contest had a panel of judges who 
like three people yeah, who specifically reviewed all thinking, of them. That's how um, the summer contest usually works. Right. Yeah. That's that's a better method, I think, when you want like guaranteed feedback. But um, so let's about talk about a few for sure. Yeah. Let's uh, let's get into the entries. Uh, the winner, overall winner, was um, and this one's a mouthful. Algorithmic generation of long-term future of your hierarchical prediction by Agent Venture. Um, this one was dressed up really nice. It looked like a uh, peer-reviewed paper, sort of, and it was um, about a guy doing math stuff, uh, timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly stuff while his life falls apart. Then he goes back in time, uh, back to the future, bits his family to success, and then kills himself. With submissions like this, um, this is why I always wonder if because it looks so professionally done, did it get more votes because it didn't just look like a Google Doc? And if it, if, if the playing field was leveled, would it still have won? I do really like it because I like, I like the way it's laid out. It's a really cool piece. But I, that's always in the back of my mind. That's been in the back of my mind since the set piece, back in the set piece contest. Which is why I force everyone to make it a Google Doc now. I do like that this one starts as an academic paper with the abstract and the introductory section, and then it abandons that to go, it continues on as a piece of fiction. Yes. It starts off sounding really academic-y, and then it uh, degrades into the story of the man's life falling apart. Yeah, and like the paper falls apart as that happens, so it's it's a well, it's a good narrative, you know. Um, right. It, it traces his research on the topic that is described in the opening section. I think Kevin's absolutely correct that people voted for this because it had a cool format. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think there's lots of stories in the world and literature and so on that gets value from being in pre- presented in a certain way that's not just text on a regular page. There's a whole kinds of genres of literature that, that, uh, that use that kind of multimedia type format to their advantage i agree i'm one of the people who muddled through house of leaves yeah. and i enjoy how that weaponizes the formatting against you or even stuff like um you remember in Discworld how it has like a shit ton of footnotes not like a normal book would have just little things yeah. like that where it dramatically changes the feel of the story even though it's really just a cheap trick hey if it works I really like some of the shapes that the text took to the... I like the guy dabbing at the end. I think they're (laughs) supposed to be like the little Tillengast monsters, uh, outlines of those, right? Dude, imagine that you you, um, open your third eye, your pineal gland, and you look at the other, the creatures from the other world, and one of them just fucking, he like dabs and he just yeets you into the, into end space. (laughs) That's good. Um... The, there were two categories for this contest. This was the people's choice. This is what uh, the most people voted on. Um, Melon, you were the runner-up with... Um, yeah, you were the runner-up. I think I said with Outbreak. Is that it? Yes. Yes. So do you want to tell us about that one? Yeah. Outbreak is a story that I wrote because I had the idea for a story about a protagonist who's walking across the street and gets hit by a car and then is trying to react but can't do it in time. And that was the genesis of the story. And usually when I write things, I write them in no particular order. I just think of all the set pieces that are exciting and I write those and then I fill in the spaces in between. And if I can't think of a way to fill in the space in between, I just um, put a cut in to simulate the passage of time. But in this case, uh, I wrote it in pretty much the order that it's written in, as in from start to finish in sequence rather than just writing pieces and then filling in the shit that I don't care about. So that's probably why it was popular because it was the, the whole thing was, was all stuff that I put care and attention into rather than just being a series of set pieces linked by obligatory text. I liked it because it started off with the most deadly weapon in Delta green. Getting hit by fucking car. Um, there was a line. It was the her first thought was that one of her shoes had fallen off, and um, coincidentally, I just went to a traffic homicide investigations class, and that was one of the things they told us was that where a shoe is is usually where you can judge like the point of impact in a vehicle versus pedestrian accident. So I love this um, more accurate than you thought. 
I love I love this because like every I, I write like a thing and then everyone stands up and claps and says, "Wow, Melon was really there. He knows what it's like." It's like no, no I, I made it up. I make stuff up all the time. It's like the quote from um, from from Ursula Le Guin where she's they they said you really must know a whole lot about sailing and she's like no I've sailed a boat once and that sank in like three feet of water and just make stuff up and if you have if you're good at imagination people believe that it's real. Uh, the other thing I liked about it was the sort of aphasia that the people were having was that influenced by uh, real life events. Uh, no, actually, it was influenced by a book called "The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat." I mean, that book is about a book of real events um, that happened to the patients that the dude was interviewing to create the book. It's an old, I think it's like from the 1980s, book by a neurologist about different characters that he encountered in his work who had different neurological conditions that illustrated things about the brain. It's a really cool book. If you if you liked the video game Disco Elysium, you'd probably like this book. So everyone except Jake. <laughs> I'll finish it one day. Eh. I promise. It's cool. Anything else for out outbreak? Uh, it's it also. I mean, what I like what I liked about it is it wasn't. You know, you specifically picked a different text, and, and it, so it looks more like a typed. You know, a little like like you know, you just fired off your typewriter rather than just. Oh, a it's because in, in career. Yeah, well, not, not a huge change, but it did you know make it a little more stand out. Yeah. I, I like the ending where uh, it's supposed to be the Outlook scientist, and it's like, oh, I'm so much smarter than these imbeciles that I'm outwitting, but then she gets what's coming to her. The downside to this one, I will say, is that I don't know, and this is this is going to be a common theme, I don't know how well it stacks up if you if the reader is not already familiar with the lore. Because one thing that we're, we saw a lot of in the commentary that we've seen so far on the entries for this contest is that there's a lot of, I didn't understand this one. And I'm wondering maybe if my interpretations of some of the stories are actually wrong then, because I, for the most part, did not have trouble understanding them, but that may just be because my impressions of them are wrong. You have a very small window to to get your point across in microfiction, which is yeah, Kevin, point. Kevin's <laughs> right. Uh, to be fair, you have to have a pretty high IQ to understand Delta Green. A lot of the microfiction is extremely subtle and will go right over the typical reader's head. Like I know one of the critiques, or a critique on one, one, no, the one Kevin, that I wrote. Kevin, it's a pasta. I understand what you're doing. I'm trying to actually comment on the contest and the entries, not just meme all the time. Well, you're not doing a very good job. No, I'm kidding. Go help, help us out, Kevin. Um, you know, like... If I added six more pages to mine, I could have, you know, made it built attention a lot, lot slower and really made it like drip with like the way it emotion. Works. But I deliberately didn't do that because I didn't. It was supposed to be a quick, you know, quick fire thing. So I think some some of the some of the some of the points, some of the critiques may have missed the point of the whole point of reading a two or three page microfiction is that you get what you get out of it, and it's going to be different for different people because you have to fill in the blanks with your own like experiences and stuff. So you have to. You know, like Max, yeah. you may have filled it in one way, and that's I, why you I, really liked Kevin, it. Kevin, I agree, I agree with um, with where you're coming from here, but I'm wondering if maybe I shouldn't have introduced the topic of criticism of criticisms now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Jake, there was another uh, category besides who got the most votes. Right. It was Chief's Choice. It's my reward for uh, me running the contest. Seconds. What's that? Oh, nothing. You didn't just, you know, steal that from last year's shotgun contest. You know what? It's uh, f- imitation's the highest form of flattery. So, an homage. Um, anyways, uh, it was Chief's Choice. It was my favorite one, and I picked uh, scenario by Magnificent Top Hat. And uh, fuck, I fucking forgot what it's called. Loved it. No, I really liked it. I liked the content. I just can't remember. Hold on, I just had a, a brain fart. Is uh, sorry. Yeah, it does employee assistance programs. Um, which the synopsis of this one is that there is, um, it's kind of like an inside baseball story because I know the agent that um, that the author was writing about. He is like a OCD, very paranoid. Uh, I think he works for the CDC and he got his hands on some of that, um, the squirt juice that tells you whether or not someone's made a proto matter. And this sort of paranoia and OCD is uh, just completely consumed him. And then uh, there's a nice twist at the end where he finds out that he himself is made of proto matter. And this is nice because it's it's a page, so this is like micro micro fiction. Yeah, but it's it gets the point across. It tells 
it tells a story, which is neat. This is almost something you'd see like in the um, like in the sidebar of a like a Delta Green book, just as one of those like flavor things, or you know, like Dennis Detwiller always puts out the the, the, the way it went downs. So this really had that kind of feel to it. Yeah. I mean, then in a good way. So much ultra ultra condensed, um, straight to the point. Very very good. That's why I picked it as my uh, overall winner for Chief Choice. Did anyone else like this one? That was pretty good. I when I first read it, I had a concern, like Melon said, with outbreak that maybe it was a little too required knowledge of specific Delta Green plot beats to grok it. But I th- on a reread, I think it explains itself pretty well. They're imposters. If they touch the secret sauce, their skin turns pink. At the end, his skin turns pink when he touches it. Yeah, it does have a little bit of inside baseball. <laughs> yeah, no, that works. I think it, I think it's pretty well self-contained. All right. Uh, which one do you guys want to talk about next? Well, we each, in addition to this, we all voted, except for you, Jake, on a... We each voted for three, and some of us also submitted some entries. Would anyone like to talk about the first thing that they voted for? It was also the one I submitted, so <laughs> so I can talk about that. Uh, right, go for so, it. So uh, I'll start by saying uh, I normally am not a big fan of, my, of the Delta Green microfiction or microfiction in general because of it feels it generally feels very like somebody just throws some words on a paper and calls it good and it doesn't really evoke a lot. That said, I really did like some of these, and you know, I I did all I did was throw mine on the paper, so I did not plan on entering the. All that to say, I didn't plan on entering the contest when it started. Um, yeah, I remember I, like bullying and peer pressuring you into submitting. Well, so what happened was, I to make a long story short, I had to move my bed into my the room where my computer lives because my air conditioner didn't reach my bedroom and it was fucking hot. Um, so I was like laying on the floor one night in my. I have all these cables behind my monitors and stuff, and it, th- it just had the weirdest pattern on my ceiling. It looked like all these, like, you know, tentacles and, like, weird things. Um, and I was like, well, damn, that would be terrifying if they, like, you know, moved. And, like, I wasn't sure, like, that that would be interesting. And then I said, well, shit, there's a contest on. I've already come up with the central conceit. I may as well just write it. So that's the reason, you know, the genesis of that story. So from there, I just was just throwing the rest on a paper and calling it a day. And I'm glad I did is a fun experience <laughs> you write what you knew and uh the thing i thought was pretty interesting about this was the choice from the uh point of view uh, I, I, started, I started it first person i just don't like to write first person so i and I, but obviously third didn't make any sense so i ended up going kind of second person which i'm glad i did yeah correct me if i'm wrong guys. yeah i, I think, think that really worked i think kevin was the only one that submitted in second person I think you were the only person that wrote this way, um, which makes I won the best make- second person scenario. <laughs> or best <laughs> sure, um, I'll start making up categories for awards so that my friends can win stuff. Best scenario, best uh, microfiction in courier. <laughs> um, so, but it's, it's kind of one of those things that uh, also is relatable to other people because I'm sure lots of people have experienced, you know, sort of sleep paralysis before, and the choice to put it in you. Uh, you know, second person, and it also being a somewhat relatable experience made it made it nice. You know, not even sleep paralysis, but who hasn't been asleep at night or been asleep going to bed and seeing like a sh- weird shadow? They weren't sure what it was. You know, I mean, it's oh, it's kind I, of, you know what I'm thinking of now? There's that vine where the girl is holding the phone up, and then she sees like something in the background of her uh, vine, and it freaks her out for a second, and then she realizes it's like the Christmas tree or something. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, you're the only person that I can like verbally talk about vines. Vines are so good. Bring back Vine. I just embrace embrace the TikTok. Just yeah, I mean TikTok is now Vine because what's nice is is Vine had a really racist early period, and TikTok's kind of skipped that. So maybe TikTok is better. Anyway, Tom, what about you? What was your number one entry or the one you voted for? My number one entry was the height. The hike. Okay. That's interesting because um, I didn't like this one, but tell me why you did like it. Oh, really? Yeah. No, uh, this one I uh, wasn't a fan of, but I want to hear why you did like it. I thought the buildup was really well- good. The basic premise is that it's two cell agents who have recently seen their third cellmate die in the middle of an operation are like visiting a secluded cabin in the woods 
and there's a certain amount of tension between them. But then but in between them traveling to the cabin through these woods, there's also like very quick cutaway scenes between them like going on the operation and mourning their friend and like uh, crashing into a motel room to have sex. And I think it sort of gives you this like a movie would do. It gives you a very effective peek into like everything that's being unsaid. And then at the very end, they suddenly start tearing into each other. And it's a very violent in a way I enjoy. It just feels very real as opposed to a monster starts ripping bodies apart like they're rag dolls. Or there's a team of guys with glazer loaded MP5s and a wide range of fucking attachments. I really, really hate the trope of someone read the book, so you have to shoot them. I think that that's like reinforcing the most uninteresting part of Delta Green. But I like this. I think it was good. Uh, for and- me, the, the flashbacks happened a little bit too frequently and it distracted it. Um, it was a distracting uh, thing for me. But now that you mention it, the the details about the really personal violence were pretty good. Like the, I remember the one where she's basically got like her knee on the guy's throat and it's describing like how his face is changing colors. Like some of the, some of the details of the violence were really personal. Some of the microfictions this included would work better if you know if you had the infinite budget to like make a short film. Shoot these because flashbacks in visual storytelling you can much more clearly convey you know the time of a flashback, how a flashback is happening, or like you know what I mean right. like you can do a lot more. Whereas in text, unless you distinctly like you know this is you know the he, he thought back to when the clock said noon you know but if you just show that they're talking at night and then they the next scene it's you know early at night. Well, that's what happened before, you know? So some of these would work better in, in, in that case. Uh, it almost makes you wonder if you did, if you wrote a microfiction, like, script format, as if it was to be made into a thing, if that might be a fun way to do a future microfiction. Uh, like a screenplay, like your... Uh, yeah, you know, interior. Like from The Sopranos. Yeah. That's <laughs> a good point, Kevin, because I could really easily visualize every single scene in this, and that was part of why it really drew me into it. Um, one more thing I liked about it is that it's got Chekhov's pocket knife. Yes. <laughs> uh, the reason some, some of those things are just art, you know, some of those literary things are so, you know, so common, it's because they work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it mentions it, and, like, if you're visualizing it in your head, you can see her putting the keys inside of it, and then, like, feeling the pocket knife, take it out and look at it, and then put it back, you know? It's good. Um, you know, I wasn't fair when I said I didn't like it because I did. I just felt a little confused or frustrated with yeah, pick a favorite. You know, yeah. It, it's cool that there's wide enough of a range that everybody can draw their own favorites from all these. There were several other like you have to kill the the other Delta Green agent stories that I liked a lot less because I don't think that they executed on it quite as well. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would say. Even if the premise is fairly well trod, this is a very good execution on it. So I I voted for three of mine, but I'm not going to do those because um, I submitted ten and I can't do all ten. So I'll just submit. I'll talk about the ones that I would have voted for if I had voted for other people's work. And the first one is called "Picking Up the Pieces." Oh, I liked I liked this entrant. He had a lot of really good entries. Yes. Picking Up the Pieces is a story about a Delta Green guy whose job is to take all of the time travelers who come in from the future and take them to a farm where there's going to be rabbits and all kinds of nice things. Basically, he plays, um, you know, he rounds up the misplaced time travelers. Because all the time travelers are from future Delta Green and they're trying to stop the world from ending in the future. And the trick is that none of them actually know whether they succeeded or not, and they can't tell Delta Green anything about the mission that they're on, because that would cause the future to happen by, by predicting it. I, I like the way it kind of deals with causation because they're like, well, you know, one of them's got to be right, so we might as well let them try and follow through with their plans of where they think the pivotal moment in history was. Yeah. It, it had a really evocative intro where the the, the time traveler, which is a a visual I really like, and it's a trope I've seen before. The time traveler is like stuck half in like a wall or half in something. Yeah. It's a horrifying way to go. Um, and like this, this this really would be a good plug. Like, 
if you if this was going to be a longer piece of fiction or a piece of media, this is a great like treatment or a great like here's what I'm thinking here here's an evocative piece on on this world I want to tell the story of these time travelers whatever. So right. that, I really like that. I can, see a, travelers. I can see a lot of people objecting to it on the grounds that it is not tonally in line with what they think Delta Green should be. I mean, guilty. Yeah. I think I it's mean, a great piece of writing, but... Here's here's the thing, though. Um, there is a Delta Green scenario about this exact topic called Future Perfect Part 3. And uh, in, fair, in fairness, that is one of like the the least well-regarded Delta Green scenarios ever written. Yeah, I haven't even read it. So. Oh, no, I, I don't mean like it's not well-known. I mean that the people who read it say it's not a scenario. It's just a very elaborate piece of fiction. See, this uh, this one, it, to me, it kind of felt like, um, like, you know, at the beginning of the different chapters in the Delta Green Agents Handbook, there's a story, and it kind of does that. Well, um, it's like setting fluff like for a splat book or for like a completely different yet sort of similar game to delta green like time watch or uh you know another one of those sort of things you make the argument like you know like in, in this in this piece of fiction delta green stays kind of hands off or you know doesn't try to figure out what's going on because they don't want to affect things and i think you can easily make the argument that and that would never happen. Delta Green is a bunch of greedy fucks, and they'd someone someone would break that eventually. But that might just be like the next. That might be part two. Is somebody fucks it up and it causes problems. Part one is just setting the stage. You know. See, I, I like this as a campaign premise almost. Like um, you go to the village, and uh, one of the futurelings comes to you and says, "All right, here's." Uh, he's got a PowerPoint prepared, and he says, "Here's my plan for how I'm going to save the world." And he talks to you about the mission that he's cooked up, and it's your agent, and uh, you play through this. Um, one of the futurelings is a case officer, and he, he commands you, like you know, we're going to go. Uh, there's this kid who's. Uh, uh, in an eighth grade history class or a science class and he's falling asleep and you have to make sure he stays awake or some, some shit like that, you know? At, at the same time, I think, you know, we read so much Delgrini fiction about how every person is flawed, everything always goes bad, and the world is ending. It's nice to have an almost positive. Yeah. Like a little bit of positivity, you know, it's still kind of horrifying, but maybe Delta Green is doing the right thing with these people and that's that's kind of nice. It's, it's not all doom and gloom, but the fact that these people exist means that somewhere and sometime uh, the future is fucked. Who would like to talk about their number two entry voting? I was say, that was earlier, and it was, you know, uneventful. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I took it down. It only took one flush. Yeah. Sometimes some of the television stays on the top. You know, never mind. <laughs> uh, what was your number two vote, Kevin? And you only had two votes because you messed up your ballot. I think I, I thought I got all three. No, no, you voted for yourself twice. Uh, despite having, the, the despite having very clear instructions on the ballot, you left a real hanging chad there. I might have just been me trying to uh, uh, give you a hard time. Um, I enjoyed the Adrian Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. One, that's a favorite children's book of mine. So I, I appreciate it's a fantastic title. Isn't it? I appreciate a good title that draws you in. Like that, that helps, especially in micro fiction where you have fifty things to read. And it's like, where do you start? Oh, I'll start with this one that has a really neat title. You know, why not? You know the, you know it. It itself wasn't. You know, uh, you know, outstanding, good or bad. It was just, you know, kind of solid all the way through. I thought. I am kind of bothered that it goes one line goes on the fourth page. I wish he'd made it a clean three pages. What can you do there? I think this story. This story is about like a guy who gets brain cylindered by Amigo, but um, the brain dissection of him gets interrupted halfway through by the other Delta Green agents while his while he's got like his skull out open and all the Mego tools in his skull and it ends with like everything went dark I think that it would have been a much better story if he got if it got interrupted halfway through and then he was totally fine but he just had like his skull open and all the shit inside so it was like the guy <laughs> in the guy in Quake who gets rescued from the Strog if he's when he's halfway through the Strog surgery and so they put all the robot shit in him but he's like still a regular dude yeah cheers to see this one as a precursor to uh, the Will Zuma scenario of the third man factor. This is the guy whose head's in a jar. That's the, the way I, it is in my I head. Can head. See, this, all, I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know the guy who's submitted it, but it's almost like maybe either maybe he had a better ending, but couldn't a uh, different, maybe not better, but a different ending, but couldn't get there, or it was too long. 
and there, therefore you just sometimes you just need to hack the hack the hack the end off and you know stick everything on black and call it a microfiche. Oh, that reminds me, uh, I did want to give a shout out to the author. His name was Craig Lawson, and he sent in I think five five or six entries, and they were all very good, very consistently good across all of them. Enjoyed them. Ender for the Melonbread Throne. Um, and he is, as far as I know, not a member of the Night at the Opera uh, Discord community. So it's always refreshing to see that. Probably another guy who picked it up from Facebook. Yeah, uh, I think so. Well, what else we got? Uh, Tom, what was your number two? My number two was Icebox. Okay. So this is one we've you've been... We've mentioned that a couple of entries seem like they're influenced by the Detwar fiction that starts each chapter in the game books. And Nick Brown, who wrote this one, his two of his stories especially seem like they've been influenced by those because it sort of takes the form of a long-time rundown Delta Green agent talking to a much newer agent, although his characters are a lot more bitter and pissed off rather than shattered and depressed the way Detwiller characters tend to be. Yep, I see, I, see, I see that, yeah. So for this one, it really makes it for me is the ending of it. The Like, the main character starts hemming and hawing and trying to tell the person he's talking to, like, you don't actually want to know about this operation. I don't care that you're cleared for it. Like, there are things you can't unsee, things you can't unremember. Right, he's trying to persuade a shrink to grant him permission to go back to work, which is a fun... Um, like a cop trope, you know? Like after an officer-involved shooting, you go on a bin leave and they make you see like a therapist to clear you for, uh, to clear you fit for duty. Yeah, I did not love the character voice on this one, but Tom is correct that the second to last paragraph is really good. The The part where he says that the um, the suspect had taken photos of himself with it. Yeah, right. with some kind of horrible creature, like it was a couple. Like they were a couple and put yes. them around his house. That was very yeah. good. And it's just, yeah, that just strikes me really hard that the guy keeps going on Delta Green missions, but he doesn't even believe that it's possible for them to save the world because people are just so fucking lonely and isolated from each other that they will take these things in their homes with open arms. Right. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things that got to me. He's, he's expressing this like, definite like burnout this like secondary sort of trauma that he's expressing uh himself is going through and he's like that's why it's weird for him to be talking to the shrink like yeah yeah just clear me for duty so i can get back out there and just keep pushing the pushing the log around for nothing incredible twist incredible twist it's actually just a dude with like an anime wife pillow that is in the photos (laughs) (laughs) it's a real monster this one just got to me because this one is like the kind of bone deep horror people say they want from Lovecraft, but it's not so remote as, oh, the humanity lives on an island of ignorance in a black sea of et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Without Tom also turning it. to without also turning to like it's just human viscera and blood everywhere, but it's still visceral. Tom has taken the actually personal horror is just way better than cosmic horror pill. The, the phrase swivel headed humanity cancer puppet. That is I mean, I, choice. I don't think Melon Bread is wrong on the personal horror versus cosmic horror, but I think the the best pill is to make them one and the same. I think this really gets there for me. Bureaucratic horror. Well, it's just humanity is fucked on a cosmic scale because at a personal individual level, we are creatures who will allow who will invite this in. I think you could definitely give it a more positive framing, though. Like, this dude saw a natural horror in his own home, and he was like, I'm about to conquer that. (laughs) You put the laugh laugh react in too early because you knew what I was going to say. We'll convince it. No, I think think it's better this way. (laughs) I mean, I knew where you were going. (laughs) Homeboy fucked a Martian. I remember what that's a reference to. Now... Um, is that have we exhausted Icebox? He had a, he had another one that was very similar to this, which was um, also like a character voice that I didn't love, but some very evocative details that he submitted right before it. Uh, yeah, it was Labyrinth, and it was like a like a last letter. Yeah. yeah, that one that one reminds me of Dear Sin, the story from the Agent's Handbook about the guy oh, yeah, who's yeah. got 
like a worm in him and is going to turn into a monster. And it strikes yeah. me as the flip of that. But again, the guy is really pissed off about it rather than like, de- like terribly depressed to the point where he's almost a little relieved that he doesn't have to hang around with his asshole cellmates anymore. So he just leaves them a message with all the details they need to finish the mission. Yeah, then he, then he like goes off in the woods to die like a good dog. Nice. Yeah. Um, what's the next one we want to talk about? My number two that I would have voted for, but I didn't vote for my own stuff, is called Do Me a Solid. Okay. Yeah, this is by Chris Cooper. This one was, I think, quite poorly received, and I disagree. I think this one is good. It is, like it. It's cool because it has lots of fun details, because it explores strange geometry in a way that is novel rather than just being like ah it's non-euclidean two points on a parallel line or 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 are they it's not like that it's more has more personality and i think the reason why people didn't love it is that they felt it was hard to understand and maybe i think that it was fun and i liked it and that's why i put it in my number two because yeah, it's stuck in my memory that's that's my critique of it is that there was a lot of um I guess I'll call it like techno babble for lack of a better word. See, I like that. I think I, I agree with Mel that this one was pretty good. I like that it had a lot of techno babble that was at least semi legible and explained or at least justified why the monster was doing and was having its if its effect on things around it. And I like that it also was using uh strange geometries and magical science to create a certain effect on it. I also like that that it's basically just, um, you know how in his writings, um, Plato would use like the character of Socrates to put all of his opinions into the mouth of a character that he thought the audience would respect. In this case, it's like, hey, the, the universal forms that under, you know, that like underpin all of reality because of the platonic solids. So it's like a final vindication of this extremely pedantic asshole's view of how the universe worked. I think, I mean, I think the, yeah. my final real critique, like negative critique in this one, is that it was one of the longer ones. Yeah, it was longer. It was it, pushing the edge of, to me, microfiction. But uh, The length was, I think, artificially inflated by how many paragraph spaces he put in. But Yeah, true. But you're not wrong that it is one of the longer ones. I, I do like, think... With the, go ahead, Tom. No, sorry. I was going to go for some criticisms, but if you want to say something you like, you go ahead. Um, the ending was basically uh, kind of like Cujo. It's just this girl stuck at this uh, this car while a thing tries to get her. It's the comparison that I went to with it, and I liked that because it was like, what if Cujo but unnatural, unspeakable horror? Yeah, that is like the main thrust of the plot is that this monster has suddenly appeared and this woman is trying to very rapidly perform the ritual that will banish it before it can kill her while she's hiding inside a car from it. I think one of my problems with it is that it's a little clunky in that it doesn't clearly delineate where she's in the modern day trying to perform the ritual and when she's like flashing back to scientists and other people who have told her things that are helping her put it together. Because it very like, it doesn't have any clean transitions between what's happening right now and the flashback scenes. Yeah, I agree. For a frame of reference, like a it like a shotgun scenario, fifteen hundred words is about is is just 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 a hair over ten minutes. So this is probably for like a you know it, for a slower medium reader, it's probably closer to twenty. But again, I mean that doesn't I don't think it takes too much away. But it does. That, that's probably that was one reason I probably shied away from it. No, I didn't actually uh, like test whether or not it took. 10 minutes to read these things. I just trusted the people to send me entries. And then I just did like a quick scroll to make sure it wasn't like a like 60. I just made sure it wasn't like a 60 page tank adventure in North Africa with stat blocks. For <laughs> tanks. You know, Don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> that's that. I think the, the stories is well told and the premise is solid. Yeah, it was a good entry. Uh, all of the entries were good. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I didn't read a single entry that I thought was bad. Really? Yeah, with Bell and Bread in the Room. Except except for um, Night Terror. That one needed some work. There's ones of mine that I, um, looking back, would not have submitted again just because they were too similar. 
to some of the other stuff that I've written and didn't like like uh, um, looking back. I think that Clickwise was just kind of a slightly racier version of playback, and uh, it's another one. Um, Take care was just an itty bitty like continuation with too much of what uh, Never Let Go did, but like spelled out explicitly rather than implied, which is eh, not that great. But uh, I know that some other people did like those two, although um, you know they weren't fan favorites. Tom, what was your third vote? My third one was Burning a Barn by Vinay Gupta. Yeah. I- been trying to remember the names of the authors of all the stories I'm calling out, and I can't except for this one. He also write. He also wrote picking up the pieces that we mentioned before about the time travelers. Right. This one is. This one is about a vampire. It's kind of weirdly structured, like picking up the pieces, where it starts with this vampire attacking like a family and devouring them. And then it turns out the vampire works for Delta Green. He just like escaped from whatever base he's being kept at. And it goes into this kind of history of him, his life and him coming to work for Delta Green and him becoming like a nuclear radio radioactivity technician or something. Like he goes into radioactive spaces to fix broken reactors because apparently as a vampire, he's immune to radiation. It, it's the ending of Fallout Three. If it wasn't bullshit, you know, where you can get um, <laughs> yeah, there, you go. Where you can get Fox to go in and stop the nuclear reactor from going haywire. So this one is very similar to picking up the pieces. It's got kind of a weird. Both of them have kind of a weird plot structure, and they feel very much like pieces that were written as weird fiction rather than Delta Green fiction first, which is a good thing because they're very atypical, I feel like, from the rest of the field. But what I really like about this one is that it starts off showing you just how horrific this guy is, and then it spends the rest of the the word count making you understand him and sympathize with him because he turns out to be kind of a nerd, He's and he's a really good co-worker. He's really friendly, and he does all the shit jobs that you don't want to do or that you can't do because your human body is too frail for them. Yeah, and his instincts just get the better of him sometimes. I mean, who doesn't go out on like a bloodlust, you know, crawl through the town taking That is how I write people? every NPC. I start with the bad thing that they did, and then I spend the rest of the word count on why they're my favorite. So I'm going to ask a question uh, specifically for Max and Tom here. Did this feel like a BPRD sort of character to you? Uh, yes, it reminded me very much, specifically a vampire being in a barn of uh, 1946 when there is the uh, developmentally disabled child that was turned into a vampire by Nazi experiments who was hiding in the barn and was burned alive by Soviet soldiers and flamethrowers at the end of the story. Oh, shit. I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about Darren the Wendigo. That is also a good pull. Daryl the Wendigo, and to a lesser extent, Ben Daimyo the Were Jaguar. Okay, good. This uh, this validates me, because that's that's the sort of feeling that I got from this one, was that it felt like a BPRD universe story rather than a Delta Green universe story. Yeah, Vinay Gupta is... Uh, his writing is a little more gonzo, I guess, than Delta Green, which is a lot more restrained about this sort of it's stuff. It's like old Delta Green rather than new Delta Green. Yep. <laughs> so, so it's fun, <laughs> is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. That's always a compliment from Elmbred. I just like that it makes you th- it makes you wonder at what cause, like from a purely utilitarian perspective, letting this guy eat the family every now and then isn't really that bad because he does such good work. But it's I was somewhere, somewhere along the way they did like a trolley problem balancing. Yeah, thing. like it. it but I, I think it feels to me like the point of this is to make you wonder that at the end, like, is this at what cost is this worth it or not worth it? What does it need do, to do? Do the means justify the ends? Well, I think. I forget the exact line, but somewhere in there it says, this wouldn't be so fucking hard if he wasn't so nice the 99% of the time he's not (laughs) eating people. (laughs) Because it makes you kind of, both as a reader and as a part of Delta Green, it makes you complicit in it because he's just a boring old lab tech with a colorful history uh, the rest of the time. And then every so often he disappears and he's like chewed the throats out of a bunch of people. But yeah, this one. You're probably happy to deal with somebody who's nice, even if they're, you know, 
<laughs> a vampire. Yeah, so this is this is not one I actually voted for. This was my three votes were the hike, outbreak by Melon, and then uh, and then Icebox. So these are this was my first runner up, I guess. You know, I was just gonna throw the ball to you, Max, and say that if you weren't voting for yourself, what would your third vote have been? Uh, my third vote would have been for the duties of the office. Uh, I think that this one, the actual description of the Delta Green agent going to deal with the unnatural threat is fine. It's nothing that really sticks in my memory. I think the part about this that I liked was the twist ending because it was a genuine surprise, but followed logically from the setup. And I also liked it because it was very evocative of one of my favorite pieces of Delta Green fiction called Witch Hunt, which has a similar premise to this one. So overall, it was good. I also think that this Can was one that explain the ending of this one for me. Yes, in the the ending the ending of this one is that the protagonist is killed by assassins who are trying to make Delta Green run like a business rather than like a bloated government agency with too many workers. So she'll probably be replaced with a contractor who doesn't ask for healthcare or benefits. Yeah, the premise is that the Delta Green operation they were sent on is illegitimate, but also they were expected to die in, in the process, and yes, they do not. Um, so there's a hit team waiting just outside the operations area to finish the job. So this is basically like, uh, what if Delta Green were in like Uber and Lyft in California? No, it's 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 a a commentary on that, but it's also um, a riff on like the actual Delta Green setting, which. Is, program versus outlaw. Yeah, it's supposed to be about like the war between bureaucracy and and like outlaws and and vigilantes and stuff. Um, and this one touches a little bit more on contemporary politics than anything else uh, that came into the contest because it's about how the leadership at the EPA, the recent leadership, has kind of been clearing house. And so, because the main character works for the EPA. There's a commentary made at the very start about how our boss is a turncoat who sold out to the latest political appointee. I get it now. Thank you guys for explaining this one to me. I enjoy it more now that I have a better idea about what it's about. Yeah, and then Delta Green is supposed to be the character's escape from that, but it turns out Delta Green is now acting the same way. So that was uh, one of the things that I was going to say that I liked about it. There's like a condensed play summary where the guy's dealing with the doldrums of working and then like meeting your best true friends for a Delta Green excursion and then the shenanigans that uh, play out from it. It's like if someone did a player report but made it fun instead of tedious to listen to, you know? It's just like Agent Dick said. The first thing we do, let's kill all the case officers. That was He's my not proving th- you wrong. It was my third. Uh... I have a bunch more that I could talk about, but they're all mine. Uh, though I could also talk about any entry on this list because I think that people deserve to have uh, people read their stories and respond to them. Oh, uh, um, in addition to running the contest, I also wrote two entries. Is it all right if I talk about my two entries? Uh, go ahead. Um, I did. Well, after all that, we refuse to allow you to speak. <laughs> and. So- uh, the first one I did was uh, called Adrift, and this one was about um, a victim in a Delta Green scenario that I wrote. Uh, one of the first ones I wrote for Night at the Opera was Black Winter, which is the one where a bunch of people in an Alaska town are being fattened up by the Deep Ones to be fed to uh, basically a progenitor Deep One. And this is from the perspective of one of the fat natives who's stuck in a pod that is adrift at sea and she doesn't understand what's happening. Um, I had a lot of fun writing this one. I just kind of tried to put myself in the headspace of somebody who didn't know what the hell was going on. And you looked yourself open on that one, but I don't think anyone's going to take it. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I don't know what the hell's going on in real life anyways. Um, uh, the criticism I got for it was that the ending... Like all the setup that I had done in personifying the the protagonist of the story kind of got thrown out of the uh, when the Delta Green agents show up and save her. And that's pretty valid. Um, the other entry I submitted was for, uh, it's called Ghost Stories, and it is about another um, non-Delta Green uh, anti-mythos group I wrote called Sub Rosa. And I just kind of wanted to flesh out and personify some of the characters there because one day I'm hoping that I'll be able to run a Sub Rosa game. 
I'm interested to hear. I'd be interested to hear from people who have not read the original lore document whether this was intelligible to them. Because I think it is. I think it's. I think it's not that difficult to figure out what's happening. Even I'm if you haven't. I, I didn't even think about the inside baseball angle of it until you just now mentioned it. I think that it's easy enough to understand what's going on. But I don't know that for sure because I don't because because I have the information necessary either way. Right. Yeah. You've got the context. I'm just looking it over. I think it's probably intelligible enough. Um, uh, some of the criticism I got for this one was that um, the very ending when the man sees the ghost, uh, it wasn't satisfying enough. Again, that's that's pretty fair. Uh, it was a lot of build up for that moment, and I'm, I might have blown it, but I uh, I had fun writing it. And I had fun personifying the NPCs. So sometimes wrapping something up or knowing where to end it is the toughest part about writing something. So you know, if that, if that's where you struggled, then you know that's where a lot of people struggle. And now you know what to work on for the next one. Tom, did you want to do the farmhouse? Uh, so the farmhouse is a very quick one. It's about a guy staking out literally an abandoned farmhouse and listening to like the reeds blow around him and staring into like the dark door. And he sees something moving inside, so he decides to just go for it and check what's going on. And one of the things I really like about this one is that it spends a lot of time waiting and waiting and building anticipation and dread. And then by the time he goes inside and he realizes what's going on, it's it just ends. And I love that it ca- caught me by surprise just as much as it caught the character. It's good. It's another one of the ones that really personifies uh, what it means to be microfiction because this one is only about two-thirds of a page long. Yeah, and this is one like the hike where I can really perfectly visualize everything that was happening in my head. Like, felt very cinematic, I guess. I can genuinely say I didn't see the twist coming. I was expecting some sort of horrible monster or, uh, you know, something else. It seemed to me that there was a dead man in the leather, that it was myself. Um... My comment about this one, um, uh, Max, you saying that, it, it felt like it had sort of a Cormac McCarthy vibe to it, the, the language and the prose in this one. It's missing the part where they describe the guy eating his tortillas and then leaning over and spitting on the ground. Like uh, some of the sentences are almost run-on-ish enough that it has that sort of McCarthy feel to it. Jake, that, that meme's too advanced for you because you haven't read um, Blood Meridian or The Border Trilogy. Nope. Nope, not yet. Not if you yet. really want to get corn cob, those are the ones you got to read. All right, corn cob. Yeah, there's or a is whole. That just his name, corn cob. Corn cob tortillas, E. Carthy. There's a, there's a whole complex of gags I'm not going to go into here. Gotta take the corn cob pill. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not the corn no, cob no, 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 I'm not the familiar corn, with the deep lore. The corn, the corn pill comes from uh, Kaiser's uh, commentaries on the Gallic Wars. Right. Um, any last. Words. I don't know. I could. I could very briefly just do. Um, is there any? Is there anything, anything interesting that you guys have to say about your process of writing these, the ones that you submitted? Uh, no, I mean, I, I pretty much spoke about mine when I did. I'm, I'm curious if you. I know you said one of yours you wrote in, in a different style. Or you wrote kind of differently. Did that? Do you think it changed? Was that a one-off, or did it actually change like how you look at writing some things? Uh, so a couple of these I wrote in just in sequence rather than in pieces. Uh, Pillar of Salt, which was the fa- my favorite one that I wrote, but um, which I think was kind of kind of got a, a, a lukewarm reception. Joyride, which I know more people liked. Both of those were ideas that I that I liked enough that I had no trouble just going from start to finish. Um, both. Joyride and Yatrogenesis and uh, I think maybe it was just those two. Oh, and Gong Show. Those were all scenario ideas that I abandoned and then later came back to do scenario to do uh, microfictions with. Yeah, um, Pillar of Salt was not my favorite melon bread. I think my favorite melon bread entry was probably Joyride because that one was just really, uh, really wacky and weird, and I really appreciated all the descriptions of like the fucked up like sex stuff that the Kenyanis were doing. That story is very heavily influenced by a book called Aztec by Gary Jennings, which is about what life was like if you're an Aztec. To the point where um, the 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 Kenyan character saying uh, "ao" as a like an exclamation of of disbelief is taken from the dude's interpretation of um, Nahuatl, the 
the Mexica language. Oh, uh, one, one more thing about um, another Melonbread entry that I really liked, because I, I made a specific note about this one. Um, from Take Care, there is a line, my desires are wonderful, why shouldn't everyone have them? And that is probably one of the most Melonbread lines I've ever read. Yeah, that, that'll be in this tombstone. <laughs> yeah. I, it was always I, wonderful, why wouldn't everyone have one? I didn't love that story because, like I said, it was just a more um, spelled out version of a different one. But I, I, I like the, the dialogue in it. I think it was fun. To yeah, write. that one had the most fun dialogue, I think. Yeah, that one was fun because it's it's not a – that one was fun because it's not a retread in my mind. It's flipped from the other perspective, and the guy has actually some pressure to consider their choice. That's fair. I think that is going to do it for me unless anyone else has any questions about uh, any of the stuff I just said. I'm happy if you guys want to want to keep going and talk about other stuff, but I think that's a good uh, – that's a, a, a pretty good overview. I am going to try and write uh, written reviews of all the scenarios – all of the, the stories because I think that um, – We've seen a lot of people do that already, which I'm really happy about. And I, I thank you to everyone who is writing responses to all the stories because uh, there's nothing more discouraging than writing something and just not getting any response. Like I felt real bad for the guy that wrote Sacrifice because Sacrifice was actually locked and no one could read it for about a week. And the fact that no one said shit about that indicated that no, no one had no, been no. trying. So- on the contest document, it was accessible, but on the review helper document. Oh, okay, not. okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. So that that changes my my mind a little but, bit. But um, that said, uh, if people are going to do written reviews, I would ask them to send them to me so that I compile can compile them and make sure that it gets to the original authors because I have some email addresses for the people that aren't in the server. Okay, that nice. was a, a good contest. I mean, a ton of entries. That's that's huge. That's good to see. Yeah. I'm excited to see if this becomes pseudo regular. You know, that'd be cool. I like it. I was going to say, how did this compare to the number of entries last year when you were able to take more forms of media? Uh, let me let me crunch some numbers real fast. Going to find the 2019 contest doc. Here it is. And let's see. There were 31 entries for that. So I got more from wow. microfiction than from the micromedia. Yeah, almost double. I've got, I got another, I got another um, thing that I can uh, just inject in the conversation before we uh, close the book on this one. No pun intended. Um, one thing that I was thinking about when I was doing these, uh, I mentioned earlier that some of these were rejected. Some of mine were rejected scenario concepts. There's some stuff that you can explore in fiction that's a lot harder to actually put in an adventure. Anything yeah. involving altered perceptions is generally much easier to do in uh, just a, a, a piece of writing than it is to do at the table when you have to adjudicate sensory input for. I actually had one um, that I didn't submit because it was too vulgar that leaned very heavily on that concept. Wow, too vulgar. And you had some real, real dark ones here. Well, save it for next year. I don't think that's fair. I, I didn't submit. No, so here's a question. Did any of you submit stuff that you had in your back pocket but had never, hadn't put anywhere? No, but there's nope. no rule against it, so... I had Yatrogenesis half finished and sitting in my. Um, it was actually a, a rejected entry from last year's contest that I had sitting in my pile, and I decided to finish it for this one. All right. I think it's, it's for a game. I just want to slip in here. I'm pretty sure at least one of Vinay Gupta's was also in his back pocket. I know I've read Burning a Barn like a couple months ago on one of the Facebook pages. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's in fairness, like this is this is if he's not hanging out on Night of the Opera all the time, then it's entirely new to us. It's he's not just recycling something that we've already seen, unlike Arc Dream with all their scenario packs. Nice. No, it's unfair of me to say that because it is there is actually value in being able to just not have to deal with like 30 books to get all the scenarios. I shouldn't be so, so cynical. It does make me wonder if there's a thought about, you know, we some of the contests work better. Is a short form, like, you know, I think shotgun works good as like a kind of a tight time frame. But I do wonder if there's a, a market like for microfiction where it's like a, it's like an open, you know, every 20 scenarios, every, every 20 microfictions, you know, it's open submission, every 20 gets a set of votes. And it just, you can, people can submit, you know, as things come up and it just becomes more of a repository. Might be something, might be something to that rather than like a, oh, microfiction's coming up and, you know, God, whatever fucking month it is now. It's uh, November, right? Yeah, something like that. It's almost winter in Animal Crossing. 
I know that much. All right. Uh, well, with nothing else, that was our segment on the 2020 Microfiction Contest. I had a good time administrating it, and I enjoyed all the entries. Thank you to everyone. And thank you to everyone that's writing reviews. Make sure you get those to me.